Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of OK Now What? This week we have Jason, Thomas, and me, Greg. Um, so, yeah, let's go ahead and get on with uh, today's topics, okay? So we're going to start off with an update um, in the Israel-Palestine situation that's been happening for the past 11 days. I believe it's 12 now. I'm not sure. Um, but, um, you know, we had... Rashida Tlaib calling out Biden uh, publicly on his stance and what uh, and his approval of the 70 uh, 753 million dollar arms deal with Israel and then we finally reached um, a ceasefire but less than 12 hours after a ceasefire was implemented in Gaza Israeli forces had attacked Palestinian worshippers in the um, the Al Alask Mosque, uh, they were using rubber bullets and sound bombs, and 15 people were injured. And I believe the death toll, just with this whole situation now, is up to 200 people. So, my thoughts on this, we, we need to stop funding. Like, stop funding Israel. The entire international community needs to be condemning Israel and their actions. The I just... it. It sickens me, it baffles me, it angers me what's going on. And the fact that the whole idea of Israel was to give Jews a homeland and then they are now the oppressors. It's just, it's, that's what really angers me. But um, Thomas, if you want to give me your um, thoughts on this, go ahead. Uh, well, you know, a ceasefire is good, but it doesn't change the fact that Israel is still an apartheid state that is still um, committing to its policy of ethnic cleansing in the region. Um, it doesn't stop that. And uh, even though bombs might have stopped falling onto Gaza, it still doesn't change the fact that um, Gaza doesn't have a uh, majority of um, Gaza doesn't have clean drinking water. The majority of Gaza, uh, you know, is still undergoing um, police harassment and uh, like what you saw at the mosque um, with uh, IDF intimidation. Um, it just doesn't change the situation for the people of Gaza or the West Bank. Like, it just doesn't. Nothing changes for them. Like their what their their day to day livelihoods are still exactly the same way it's been for the past God knows how many years now. It's just it's just not nothing nothing has fundamentally changed apart from oh at least Netanyahu is not bombing Gaza anymore with yeah. airstrikes. Um and you know it it's just not like it's just it's just not it's just not enough to call for a ceasefire. I what I what I do see uh, a lot online, and I really we really need to try and not uh, interpret it this way. Um, a lot of liberals are suggesting that if we just get rid of Netanyahu, this will end, and this is not the case. Betty Gantz, the guy who ran against Netanyahu, is in fact even worse than so many stances. He considers. Palestinians like vermin he can he's even said publicly like you know we should do like that's one of the reasons why Netanyahu went ahead of these airstrikes because it was he you know he couldn't form a government and a lot and unfortunately a lot of the Israeli population is very pro like pro this sort of stuff like very um like they have a deep are there hatred. any um Israeli citizens at least on the side of the Palestinians I mean, the, look, um, you know, uh, Israeli citizens aren't a monolith. There are there are people. Um, I have seen videos of people who are protesting or have protested against because when you to, you when you're young, um, it's uh, you're you're expected to volunteer for the IDF, right? That is that it's like military service. But, uh, um, um, and some people do reject based on the principles of what you know principles of what the idf does and what it stands for and what and what it implements in gaza and the west bank so there are you know like i said jews aren't a monolith you know and 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 a lot of the time 
we talk about how anti-Semitism is weaponized when you are against Israel, right? Yeah. We need to, like, like, Americans aren't a monolith, right? We're not all QAnon supporters who vote for Donald Trump, right? And a lot of people might equate Americans with that. And people need to realize that um, the focus is on the state of Israel, like the ethno far right fascist regime that we have right now. But we need to realize that it's not just Netanyahu, that it goes deep. The whole, the whole uh, political landscape of Israel is very much for ethno um, far right cleansing like that is the you know it doesn't yeah. matter if it's netanyahu it, it could be betty gantz but it wouldn't the policies wouldn't change like the yeah, fundamental yeah. policies of what israel is doing will not change it doesn't matter um and i think a lot of liberals they view netanyahu as like a trump when the reality is is that it goes deeper than that mm -hmm. this has been going on since 1948 like this has been going on for years well i don't know that netanyahu was was i mean how long has been netanyahu been in office he's been in office for oh, a long he's, time he's been he's, in a while yeah. he's i mean he was he was uh um he was he was leadership when obama was president and yeah. there wasn't there wasn't you didn't get the sense that people thought about him in this way when Obama was president, but it was still the same policies, you know. Um, so, I mean, and I and I saw some, uh, you know, there's saw some really troubling video of, of Israeli citizens uh, just saying some awfully dehumanizing things uh, about about Palestinians, things that if you said in America. Uh, against people of, you know, a white person said against people of color, you know, you could, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's, that's hate speech. That's really, that's just that, you know, it's, it's ethnic supremacy. And Jason, um, yeah. I wanted to ask, you know, you're running for Congress, you know, with all this happening, what should we really be doing? I know we have um, a, a house resolution going around and we have yeah. a, a bill blocking the arms deal. Um, but what should we be doing? What should Congress be doing right now? This we we should be. So so here's the thing. We should be. Uh, we should be withholding aid to Israel. Now, now they don't need. Honestly, they don't need our three point eight billion dollars of aid every year anyway. They they really they don't. They also have universal health care, I believe, don't they? they have a, yeah, they do. They have a they have a very strong military. That you know, I they have they have a self sufficient economy. I um for the most part. Um, so they really don't need our foreign aid. They don't need our military aid. Uh, and so I think we should be withholding that just as just as a statement. That's got to be that's got to be a statement that we don't approve. But here is the problem. And Thomas identified that this has been going on since 1948. Yeah. OK, the if you go back through the history of the United Nations, you remember the United Nations in Israel were essentially created at the same post-World War Two time, you know, and and you go back through. Um, the, the the history of United States support for Israel, like like as um, as dogma uh, as su support for Israel, that virtually every sole resolution that the U.S. has blocked in its entire history, virtually all of them, as that Security Council veto, um, have have had to do with Israel and and uh, and criticisms of Israel. Uh, most recently, in, in dealings with Palestine. Prior to that, dealings with Lebanon. Um, so the United States is is not. They are not going to call Israel what they, it should be called, which is an apartheid state. Yeah. And if you actually go back to the late '80s, the UN, the US, and the UK together twice twice blocked resolutions critical of South African apartheid yeah. that the that that when when Reagan was was president we couldn't even be critical of South African apartheid you know so the United States does not have a good history when it comes to recognizing apartheid you know being critical of it and and I don't know what the deal was was with South Africa so much in terms of of, of economy and ties and and why we would want to be supportive of the Republic of South Africa. Uh, but there was something there where we simply couldn't, couldn't be critical of it. And I don't know that it didn't have some ties to you know our own history in this country. So um, 
yeah, we, but 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 Congress has got to do more. They've really yeah, got to do more. They really do. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our next story, which involves Congress. Um, the House um, voted to create an independent commission on the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, um, sending le the legislation to uncertain future because Senate Republican leaders are working to stop this bipartisan investigation. Um, and it's not really a surprise due to, you know, the Republican Party is, is the party of QAnon, is the party of Trump, is the party of insurrectionists, it's the party of party before country, you know, that's how they are. And it, it why, why should they, if, if Donald Trump caused the um, insurrection, which, who was the leader of the Republican Party, why should they even have any say in this? You know, and if you are if you are a representative who believes that the insurrection didn't happen, or they're a bunch of Antifa, or Donald Trump had no part in it, if you're one of those people, you should have no say, and you shouldn't even be in office. That is, that's like supporting treason. If it, I mean, to me, that's on the grounds of supporting treason. But uh, Jason, go ahead and give me your thoughts on this. Well, again, you know, you're you, we, we're going to have an investigation where, you know, literally days after January 6th, we had Cori Bush stepping out with H.R. 25, put it on the table. Uh, you know, we we obviously have enough evidence that, that the Republican and this was even focused on the vote that that uh, so much of what happened on the 6th was ginned up by the Republican Party resisting uh, a legitimate election. You know, that's that's where this came from, that the election was stolen. They've taken our democracy and all of the Republicans who refused to certify those election results were culpable in this. And that's what Cory Bush was trying to say. And did you have the Democrats picking that up? No, they want to maintain bipartisan, maintain bipartisanship. They want to maintain decorum. So they're not going to actually pick up the stick and whack the Republicans the way they need to be whacked. You know, so even if we have this commission, what are we going to get out of this commission? This is not just Donald Trump. He's the he's a figurehead, you know, certainly an integral part of it. But this is a rot that is in the entire Republican Party. And the Democrats won't take that on. Yeah, you made a really good point. Thomas, go ahead. Well, I, I think it goes deeper than that. Like, like you've got you've still got Democrats that are saying that we need to we need to uh we need to work together or we need to uh, uh, uh commit to trying to appease each other with legislation you've got joe biden right now saying i'm going to trim the infrastructure bill that he promised that would be at least uh was it two how much was it two billion dollars or something 1.75 billion dollars the infrastructure bill and now he's saying that um i'm gonna maybe trim the infrastructure bill to appease Republican uh, senators, right? So that, that's just come out. And it it seems to be like this ongoing thing where you've got Democrats who are keep doing this like, oh, we got to work together. And then you've got Republicans, obviously, that just don't care. Like, <laughs> no matter what, no matter how much you appease them, they're just going to reject everything that comes out of the gate. So, like, why, why are you doing this? And I, I mean, some people call it theater. Like, I, I, I believe that there, there it really some, is because there is some now, bad faith, really bad faith actors within yeah. the Democratic Party that are just doing this because they don't really want to do these progressive agendas. They want to feign this idea of um uh this idea that you, you gotta you gotta work across the aisle it's like it's almost like you watch the west wing it's that sort of like it's just that sort of lib neoliberal like horrendous way of government it's just your know, broken brain politics which like it just doesn't in the real world it's just you know like what are you doing like why like, you don't there? you want your party to be well liked. Don't you want your party to actually obtain power? Don't you want your party to be successful? Okay, attack the other side and don't deal with them. 
Like, if you want to be this party of the people, okay. Actually, I hate I hate saying this phrase, grow a pair, but grow a pair, damn it. <laughs> it's know? like it's like it's like the fifteen dollar minimum wage, right? Republicans, if they had the way, they would just get rid of minimum wage entirely, right? That, exactly. that, that like so so uh, so right off the bat, you know, you're going okay. We want a fifteen dollar minimum wage, and Republicans are like, we don't want that at all. And it's like, okay, maybe you'll accept twelve dollars an hour, and they're like, no. And it's like you just keep going back and forth, and until you end up in a position where you're like, okay, well, I guess we're not going to do anything then. And it's like, well, what? Why? Why? Why are we working with you then? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just political theater. Yeah, it's just horrendous. Like, there's just so many bad faith actors. Like, and the Republicans are awful, but you have got so many bad faith actors within a Democratic Party. It's just. Yeah, this is this is what happens every time you have these commissions. Uh, and I'm not surprised with like January sixth. It's just it's going to go nowhere. All things going to go nowhere. Yeah. Well, um, we'll have to move on from that. You know, we'll keep you updated and see how that commission goes. Um, next, we have Tennessee. Tennessee just passed a bill shaming businesses that allow trans people to use um, their correct um bathroom so the tennessee legislature passed so now it's heading over to uh governor bill lee's desk i'm pretty sure it uh became law um but yeah so you would basically have to put a sign on your business saying that you serve trans people and um yeah and we let them use the right bathroom basically warning the straight cis population, you know, it mind boggles me. <laughs> like, okay. One, what, the first thing that came in my mind about this, like putting up a sign saying that you support trans people. Did, did, did that just bite them in, themselves in the ass? You know, because I would make that sign like hella amazing. We support trans people, you know, but then, you know, it does, further continue to let these businesses that don't let them do whatever the fuck they want and not support trans people. So Jason, go ahead and give me your thoughts on this. Well, I, I'm actually a big fan of voting with your dollars. Um, <clears throat> and if this, I, I don't know if this has gone into law. The last thing I read on it was that, uh, is that the governor may not sign it. Um, but, uh, but let's say the governor does sign it. Then you know, uh, you know. Obviously, the intent is to be discriminatory. Uh, the intent is to be intimidating, um, and you know, I, I, I want to say, and this is maybe this is the kind of an optimist, and I and I say this is a straight person, um, and so you know, I, I forgive me if I forgive me if I cross any lines here, but you know, I would patronize the businesses who say we serve trans people. We're happy to have trans people as customers. Trans people use whatever goddamn bathroom they feel is the right bathroom to use for them when they're in our business. And I, I would say to myself, I'm voting with my dollar. I'm patronizing that business, you know. So maybe that's a little bit, maybe that's a little bit too, you know, um, assuming good faith or assuming that you know we can we can take lemons and make lemonade. Uh, but I, I hope this backfires just absolutely gloriously on. I hope uh, so too. on. on on, on the political, the Republican political establishment in Tennessee. And that what we find in Tennessee is that far more people are supportive of the trans community than we thought was, was existed. And we see that through the support of those businesses who take a stand. Yeah. Uh, Thomas, you want to go ahead? It's just, it's just, it's uh, like, like, like we've said before in this podcast, the trans community has now become another political backing pole where they're just like, you know, we've we found another minority that we can, you know, use to politicize and, you know, just push our agenda and just push people into more hatred. Um, I will say this, like the U, the U, I, I've said this before, I think privately in the chat, but the, the UK uh, is horrendous, has a her really bad um, 
transphobia movement going on right now and it's it's really it's ingrained into our universal healthcare system to the point where we're literally even though we have universal healthcare we're we're purposely uh stopping people from seeking trans healthcare or we're stalling it we're saying that you need uh, especially if you're under the age of 18 particularly um and I think, and a lot, and this, and this is because a lot of um, supposable liberals uh, have now taken the stance that it is anti-feminist to be for trans rights. Um, oh, that fucking angers me. Yeah, and and this is this, and they and the thing is, the rights have successful, successfully weaponized um, women's issues that to suggest that it combats. Like, like I say, it combats women's issues, supporting trans rights. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know, I don't know where this, this I've seen it happen in the UK. It, it, it go, you, you have, you suppose we have support from lib, liberals and you'd think they support this, you know, support people and support minorities, but it, it it, it can be weaponized in a very uh, hateful well, the, way. Yeah, the thing about um, <clears throat> the trans community and people who are just gender non-conforming or non-binary is that a lot, we, we barely exist in the mind of the straight cysts who are no. against us. Um, and not only that, our community is where the gays were in the 80s. Like, that's where we're at yeah. timeline-wise. So... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really sad, but we gotta move on and like we gotta actually fight and um it's gonna happen. We're we're gonna I, I just know it, you know, be, being LGBTQ, I know it's gonna be better, but we yeah. just need to continue fighting these yeah, these terrible politicians. Um so let's go ahead and um go with our last segment of the of the evening which is Joe Rogan. <laughs> Speaking of straight cis white males, um, <laughs> um, apparently he went on his podcast saying that wokeness is going to get us, you know? So let's go ahead and listen to what Joe Rogan has to say about wokeness. enough that's the problem it keeps going it keeps right. going further and further and further down the line and if you get to the point where you capitulate where you agree to all these demands it will eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk right because it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history it, it will be you're not allowed to go outside because so many people were imprisoned for so many years. I mean, I'm not joking. No, I know, I know. It really will get there. It's that crazy. You yeah. Know, we just got to be nice to each other, man. And th there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of this weirdness in our culture. And then that becomes their thing. Their thing is calling people out for their privilege, calling people out for their position. You know, it's uh, crazy times. Oh, honey. That's all I have to say to that. Oh, honey. Shush. Keep your mouth shut. Like, it's so funny. It, 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 it happens a lot when we're trying to have this con. Like, when we talk about being allies, you know, it's, it's this, oh, that I'm, uh, it happens a lot when it comes to, like, well, I want to be part of the conversation. It's not about you, honey. It is not about you, you know, and that, that's what people forget about being, um, you know, allies is that it's not about you, you know, especially if you're cis straight and white, you know, um, <laughs> I want to go ahead and get your reaction. So whoever wants to go first. Well, I'll, I'll say this as a, as a cishet white man, um, who who has a lot of opinions, right? Uh, and 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 recognizes that a lot of his opinions are based in in the privilege of being a cishet white male. Uh, sometimes it's okay to shut the fuck up. 
and not have an opinion. Sometimes it's okay to just listen to people. I think one of the one of the things that that I am learning um, as as a as a politician and ha and you know being exposed to diversity of community that I had not been exposed to before. Like I talk about my friends in the disability community. You know, uh, one of the greatest frustrations that the disability community uh, has and has expressed to me is like you're not disabled, you don't know what we deal with every single day. So your opinion on things is only informed by your own experience and what we tell you. It's not a lived experience, right? Oh, so yeah. if you really want to be an ally to the disabled community, you will listen to the disabled community and have them tell you what they need rather than you thinking that you know what they need. You know, I mean, I think that's really that's really what it comes down to. So I I just I can't have those lived experiences. And so when I say I want to be an ally to a community, my job is to shut up and listen. You know, exactly. uh, and, and I and I think and I think um, I I want to say I do want to defend Joe Rogan on one slight small part of what he said there, and that is that there are people who do weaponize this identity thing. I mean, they are, they are, oh, bad, faith, they are bad faith actors and they weaponize identity politics. And so for, for where he's coming from, I think he sees that as a really big expansive thing. I don't think it's a really big expansive thing. I think the greater point is, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to be an ally, you've, you've got to learn from the community that is telling you this is how to be an ally to us. And I think that's the point that he is missing. And then Thomas, give me your reactions to this poll. Well, it's like uh, it's it's the old cliche in it, you know. Uh, uh, the right, uh, specifically right here, but they like to talk about cancel culture being this like huge like issue. And what it fundamentally comes down to is that uh, they're not really they're not really against cancel culture; they're just against the idea of them being held accountable for their views. And I think. Um, it's it's almost like it's almost like a parody with some of these people. Like, I really I really hope like they really do it in a self introspection and go. You know, I'm a I'm a podcaster that has hundreds of millions of people watch my channel. I'm worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, I'm not gonna be shut up anytime soon. Like, I'm I have one of the biggest platforms in the world. Um, like like. Like you, you got you just got just have a little bit of in self introspection on on that you know like hey Rush Limbaugh was able to say what he said for years and wasn't cancelled for it so exactly you know. he's worried about being cancelled <laughs> honey yeah. you're not going to be affected you know it's just it, white men are not nothing's going to happen <laughs> no, nothing and this you're is the party white straight male you're not going to be held accountable so it's good. It's literally, it's literally, it's literally the Simpsons have come to life. Like, it's just, you know, it's, 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 I just think they're de deeply unserious, like, about this. Like, uh -huh. you know, there's legit cancel culture that happens, particularly like we just discussed before, Israel and Palestine for years has been a serious canceling uh -huh. topic. That is legit, le legit serious censorship that goes on over this topic. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that, you know, if Rush Limbaugh is able to say what he said for years, then you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're going to be absolutely fine. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and move on. And so we're going to go into our interview portion of the episode this week. We have Ali Dowson. I practiced three times. Dang it. What, how do you say your last name it's again? It's Dowsimmer. 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 It's actually oh a wizard. Yeah. Super easy. I know, and it, I, and but when I look at it, it's like, why? I know, it looks confusing. <laughs> well, thank it you does. so much for joining us. Um, go ahead and tell um, our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure, right, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, I'm Allie Dalstimer. I'm running for Congress in Virginia's 11th district, which is, um, it's south and west of Washington, D.C., and uh, it's kind of a weirdly shaped district here. Uh but um, I'm, um, I've got a master's in public policy with an emphasis in environmental law and economics. And I worked 30 years as an environmental professional, primarily in the natural resources world. So um, endangered species, invasive species, migratory birds, climate change. Of course, climate change is huge. 
Um, and uh, uh, if elected, I would be the only person in Congress with environmental management and policy experience. Um, and we can we can talk about that more wow. now. There's a lot of talk about like climate change being an existential threat. It's it's not an existential threat. It's it's actually an existing threat that is currently killing people. So it's it's uh, it's a very real real thing. Um, I'm a single mom of two kids. I've got a son in college who's actually taking a gap year to work full-time on the campaign and a daughter who's a junior in high school and, uh, you know, doing all those high school things. Um, and, uh, you know, my life is similar to many people and different from others. Yeah, that's awesome. We're so glad to have you here. So you mentioned uh, climate change and, you know, that's as the youngest person on the panel, I'm 22. That's like something that, you know, I worry about, you know, because I even see my niece and nephews. I look at them and I'm like, are they going to be able to breathe in like 40 years? So um, my question is, when, when you hear things about the Green New Deal and you hear about, you know, even Biden supporting, um, you know, going zero carbon emissions by 2030, is this enough? Are we... Um, are we doing enough? And if not, what should we be doing? Yeah, that's a that's a really great great question. And um, so the, the 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 clean air and water is definitely a situation. I think one of the other things that's not being paid attention to is actually um, food. We're losing topsoil as well. So in terms of forty years, that's actually one of my biggest concerns. Um, in terms of going carbon neutral by 2030, um, my congressman wants to do net zero by 2050. Um, no, that's not enough. We need to be looking at methane uh, because we can get a much bigger bang for the buck. In methane, using existing technologies, we could reduce uh, greenhouse gas impacts uh, significantly uh, with existing technologies. I think the statistics I read was something like we'd get an 80% greater impact in the next 20 years if we focused on methane, which means we need to do both, not just one or the other. Um, and there's plenty of technologies out there. I also think that there are a lot of people who don't think they can individually make a difference. Um, certainly governments need to be addressing it on the broad scale, but I think we as just consumers and individuals need to be addressing it on a day-to-day -day scale, little things you can do. Um, you know, turning off the water and brushing teeth, taking a cloth bag to the grocery store, those kinds of things. One of the other arguments I get is why should the U.S. do anything when China's doing, you know, polluting so much? And as we all know, their economy is still developing. But 50% of the products that China produces are for U.S. consumers. So, you know, <laughs> is it really <laughs> China's fault that they're doing the, the emissions? No, it's, it's U.S. So um, I think that we all could do a lot better. I think we need to, you know, little things, buy local and reduce our packaging and try to reduce, you know, it's the three R's, right? Reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, and we're, we're a throwaway society. And every time you throw something away and bring in something new, it requires resources. So I think but there's that, a lot of things we can do. I, I think we're, I think, I think we're not going to not be a throwaway society until we get that leadership uh, from and 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 in, in a mandate form from the federal government, you know, you talked about food. You know, we we need to uh, take food production out of the hands of destructive big agra uh, and and make sure that we are uh, growing food that is replenishing our soils, that we have good food cycles, that we're growing vertically, that we're um, you know really really you know one of the things that I have recently, you know, I I guess I shouldn't say too recently because you know i've been i've been aware of the problem of you know meat consumption for a long time it's a it's a very real thing you know but we really need to make sure that that the the when we do have meat production you know it's not done in a way that is that is uh not only harmful to the animals but also the waste that it puts into uh the environment is is as toxic as you know coal smoke in some areas yeah. um so you know there's a lot there's a lot that we can do as individuals, but we've got to get that leadership direction. I mean, I think as we are a society that has shown that, you know, the, the individuals um, 
don't do stuff unless they are compelled to do it. That's not, it's kind of not the American way. So we've got to have that leadership in Congress. So I, I am hoping I can transition to, you know, why you chose to run against the person you are, I mean, obviously, because it's where you live, but why did you decide your seat needed a challenge? Yeah, so that's a really good uh, question. And it actually circles back to, um, uh, it actually builds on exactly what you were saying. And if I could take it a step back, the, um, the whole thing with food production right now and a lot of the consumer-driven uh, policies we have in place have to do with corporate influences, right? So big business really influences policy and much of that policy drives our consumerism and drives um, the, um, uh, the, the farm industry, right? So with the subsidies and whatnot, uh, in turn, which, which loops into why I'm running against uh, Connolly because, you know, he gets 90% of his money from uh, corporate PACs and, and mega donors and his interests lie with the people who are keeping him in office. So for instance, he signed the Green New Deal resolution, but then he doesn't support aggressive climate action. He supports this carbon neutral by 2050 thing, which in Virginia would only reduce emissions by 26% by 2050, which is, you know, I mean, that's, that's just way too little too late. Um, you know, when you've got people, here's the thing, right? So like, um, when you're looking at climate change, and this is one of the huge reasons I'm running against against Connolly because of this incremental approach. Because when you talk about, um, you know, we need universal health care, which he also does not support. He's doubled down on the ACA. Um, when you when you need to support workers' rights, this is a Democrat, right? He is. He's okay. a Democrat. Yeah, but you know, he's your, he's a corporate Democrat, right? Yeah. Like the he guy I'm running against. Right <laughs> he's a Democrat. Yeah. He calls himself a progressive. He says that he's a progressive. He calls himself a friend in progressive causes. Um, and he says the right things. So, you know, just as an example with the Green New Deal, he signed that resolution, but then he doesn't actually vote for aggressive climate action. He says he supports workers' rights, but he doesn't really support things that support workers, like schedules that work, child care for working families, those kinds of things. He says he supports um, voters' rights, but then he voted against, uh, you know, the Cory Corey Bush and Ayanna Presley amendments to HR1. So, so you're describing a garden variety moderate Democrat. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. They yeah. sell themselves as this, but they actually, when you look at their voting record, they're something completely different. Exactly. Uh, I think yeah. it's very similar to your, to, to your race, Jason. Yep. Exactly. You know? Um, so, uh, but, but why I really ran was in part because of, um, just really, you, you know, I read somewhere that if, if, if 2020 didn't radicalize you, you weren't paying attention. Right. And that's exactly what happened is I started paying attention. We're all home. It's COVID. Um, people are, you know, losing their jobs, waiting in food lines, the, the economic disparities are just, you know, stock markets through the roof and people are literally losing their homes. Um, and, and, you know, 982 uh, black and brown people were killed by gun violence, you know, by police gun violence. Um, just so much going on. And um, the, the whole thing made me so much aware of what was going on and started paying attention and realizing about the duplicity with our current uh, representative. And then also, and, and Jason, you've heard me say this, but the moment that really decided why I would run was when I was watching the news and they had just had a story about, um, uh, you know, what was going on with COVID and people, they'd just shown people waiting in food lines. And then the reporter comes out and says that Connolly has held up the HEROES Act, which was that first stimulus bill for 48 hours. So he could add several billion dollars in um, uh, an earmark for uh, military contractors, right? So that they could pay for their headquarters and their executive pay and whatever else. And I was like, what? Right? 48 hours that people are okay, yes, this took weeks to put through, but any delay was outrageous. And I was just dumbfounded that he would put his corporate donors, he does take more money from the military industrial complex than, you know, all but eight members of Congress. He's in the top 10. And, um, you know, I was like, you gotta be kidding, right? 
and, and that was the moment. That was the moment I decided I needed to run. And it was a little bit scary, um, but I'm really glad that I did because since we announced our run, since we started like pushing the agenda, he has signed on to a bunch of progressive legislation that he hasn't paid attention to. Some of it as old as 2017 that he never signed on to. And so, you know, for better or for worse, he's actually signing some of these things. Although, you know, is it a real, is it a real shift in his position? I don't think so. I think it's, it's just, not, he's it's trying not. to look good. He's also come out with positions on talking about he's a champion of climate, <laughs> which is awesome. And yeah. how he's the champions of women's rights, because those were the two things that I chose as the biggest needs in this district and that I was uh, promoting. So I, I, I find that interesting timing. Yeah. Comment. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, no, I was just going to comment that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you see that reaction. I mean, I'm getting some of the re same reaction in my in my own race about, you know, he's he's making noise about things that, you know, damn well, he, he is only saying because he's being challenged from the left. Um, yeah. And I would say next, uh, Ali, if, if you if if you want to uh, find a way to like go through his voting history and like really expose his voting history, I'd really love to be able to help you with that. Uh, oh, because yeah. I think it's, I think it's really important. It's really, really, really important stuff. And we've got Pride Month coming up next month. And uh, we've got we've got some doozies to release on on um, on uh rick larson so oh, please do and I, will, <laughs> yeah. and I will put my yeah. gay ass input in that yeah in that right now uh, all right thomas sorry and, uh ask away no you're right um you know i've come especially with climate change i've come to the conclusion that uh you've got you've got conservatives who completely just completely disregard it and you've got uh, a lot of liberals who are sort of just waiting around for it to become profitable like they're waiting for uh, like greenwashing to become something they can make money out of before they even act on it. And I think uh, this type of uh, this type of uh, sort of just waiting around for something to um, benefit people financially is, is going to be what's going to uh, you know really uh, really hold us back in terms of tackling this situation. Um, I think, uh, you know, with Joe Biden and his policies and what he wants to implement, it's just, it's not, I mean, I look at California, for example, when we had the wildfires um, last summer and the devastation. Oh, coming back that soon. Um, and you've, was uh, it the previous year, Paradise, we had the whole city burned down. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, that's just, that's just California. I, I have, um, I have relatives that live in Australia and they also had wildfires that were completely devastating. My home, in fact, my hometown had horrendous flooding. Um, the worst that is ever seen, um, uh, in rainfall, it just completely, uh, obliterated, um, a lot of uh, put Carlisle like literally underwater. Um, so I like I don't. I mean I don't know. I mean my question really is like I don't know. Like if, you know we're seeing progressives trying to put trying to push. It almost feels like they you know they're pushing the Green New Deal, and then that's suddenly gone into the wind now that Biden's in office, and it just doesn't feel like it's it's no longer a priority anymore you know it just i don't know what we can do really to to push this back into the limelight especially with especially with a democratic president in congress and house <clears throat> but, yeah <clears throat> right um so i'm not sure what your question is specifically but i think in terms of how to get the climate back on the front burner. It's, it's hard because there's the urgency of now, right? There's always the urgency of now. And right now, you know, you've got the situation in Israel and Palestine, and you've got all these other things going on that are pulling it away. But, you know, the reality is that if you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, there is no issue right now that is more important than climate change. There really yeah. is. I agree. We can talk I really about agree. 
Right. Because, you know, you can talk about all these things that are going on in other places, but so much of it, it, it climate is such an intersectional issue. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, I, I said this to someone the other day, right. It doesn't matter if we have free health care if the hospital's underwater. And it doesn't matter if we have affordable housing if the block is on fire, right? None of these things really matter if we are spending billions and billions of dollars in trying to you know, rebuild infrastructure. And there's no price you can put on the lives that are gonna be lost. Um, you know, and it's, 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 it's a weakening of the entire structure and you know the world's going to be just fine <laughs> it's the species on it that are going to be impacted and in terms of how to get that back on the front burner honestly we just need to 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 get get the message out again i don't really understand I, why sorry go ahead yeah i i just want to point out a lot of people don't realize but the climate issue connects all issues yeah. we want to talk about the unemployment um, problem. Okay, let's invest in green jobs. Okay, great. Um, healthcare. A lot of people get sick because of climate change, because of where they are. Um, and, you know, there was this study that if ice, um, frozen diseases left in the, um, in the ice and glaciers, if they melt, they could potentially, uh, infect people. So, okay, um, let's, fix that so people don't get sick and we have these random pandemics all right and then um you you talk about um the um you know affordable housing you know people are going to be moving if you know their cities and towns are going to be underwater so yeah climate change does connect all these issues and you're right about it um when it comes to healthcare, yeah, that doesn't really matter if you know we're all underwater. <laughs> I think I think one of the one of the real problems with climate change as an issue uh, is exactly its intersectionality um, because it isn't you know until people it it, it it affects so many things. I mean, all of the other policy things are are either affected by or um, uh, uh, have an effect on the climate. So, so it's so expansive that people can't really wrap their heads around it as a thing that we need to tackle. And at the point where, this is my fear, that at the point where people's eyes are wide open to the fact that, you know, we've been, as you said, it's, it's not, we're not talking about some threat down the road. It is here right now. But at the point that people realize, oh, shit. It's been happening for the last 15, 20, 40 years. It's going to be too late. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting to that point of really irreversibility. I mean, so when people are, you know, chicken littling, like the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a real thing that if people don't wake up to, uh, it, it, will, it will be the only thing in our lives, you know, is, is, is trying to mitigate what we have done to our environment. We've actually already passed the point of reversibility. It's we, yeah. are, we are no longer able to reverse um, the impacts of climate change, the negative impacts. The, the, there are too many things that cannot be reversed. Icebergs cannot be reformed. Mm -hmm. um, and the, you know what we can do, though, is try to slow it or potentially mm -hmm. even stop the progression. Which yeah. would be huge. You know, um, we there was a there was an article there was an article just a few days ago that there has been so much glacial ice melt that the pole the poles in the earth have shifted to a far. I mean, they're they're always shifting somewhat, uh, you know, as a part of the natural, you know, magma in the earth and everything. But but the the what has happened on the surface with the changing temperatures of the ocean right has affected the polarity of like the earth is is tilting on its i want to say no not not i don't want to say tilting on its axis um but but it's I, I access is at a tilt of i believe it's 20 23 degrees I yeah. think. but 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 anyway the the impacts of glacial ice melt are actually changing our our how our how our planet you know is in space Right. 
Right. And there's um, all kinds of things. There's, there's a ripple effect with that, right? So especially in the natural world, when you have a shift in um, cycles, you have changing sea temperatures. I mean, we've already lost, I think it's 50% of our plankton since, no, 40% of our plankton since 1950. And of course, that's the basic building block for everything. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you've got, um, you, you know, you have heat and moisture differentials that cause, um, uh, you know, that cause plants to bloom at different times, which means that the birds and insects that are migrating through that need them for food or shelter or pollination, there's, you know, the cycles are off, that symbiotic relation is thrown off. And, you know, if we really continue down this path, we're, we're going to, the way things work in nature, it's not, you know, yeah, there can be steady declines, but there's something called a tipping point where you can kind of stress the system, stress the system, stress it, and then psh, it crashes, right? That's what happened to the passenger pigeon, right? There were like so many, they darkened the sky, people shot them, that was so fun, and then all of a sudden they weren't there. So, I mean, we do have to, you know, we don't need to be doom and gloom. There are things we can do, and we can do it now, but, um, and and you're right, Greg, it's, it's completely an intersectional issue, and it's even more than what you said, because there's also ways that, um, uh, the way we have implemented systems in, 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 a, in a sort of the opposite of environmental justice way, where we really um, have a siting issue that impacts um, black and brown and, and economically uh, disadvantaged groups more, um, you end up with those people being even more significantly impacted by the various things that are happening right? They run out of water or their air is, is dirtier or whatever it is. Um, and it's, it's, it's very much um, a feedback loop that we need, to, we need to break. We need to break that cycle and, uh, and really make some, some, some strong actions. And the Green New Deal is definitely, you know, something we need to do, but a resolution is meaningless unless we can enact it, right? Exactly. We've got to actually implement this stuff on the ground. Mm -hmm. We've got to get it going. Um, and I think that's that's where we that's where the rubber uh, meets the road, so to speak. Well, I look forward to working on those things with you after 2022. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Allie, for joining. Okay, now what? Um, and you know, we look forward to seeing both you and Jason in Congress. Um, all right, uh, go ahead and shout out your website, social media. How can our audience help you? Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Well, the website is Allie for Congress, A-L-L-Y-F-O-R Congress.com. Our social media is at Allie for the number four Congress. Um, and we'd love for you to follow us, share us, tweet us out. We're really, our biggest issue is name recognition. So we're really trying to get the word out, uh, let folks know about it. If you obviously like everybody, if you have some bandwidth and can volunteer, please contact us at, at uh, volunteer at alleyforcongress.com. And if you can donate, please do so, you know, every dollar helps. So, um, yeah, we're all in this together, and if we can get uh, if we can get a bunch of progressives in, we can actually start to make some serious change. Yeah. So thank you for this opportunity. Of course, and folks, that concludes another episode of Okay, Now What. Um, all that lovely information is in the description below, as well as our social media. Check us out too. Take care, folks.